I want to thank John Parrish for filling in for me last week. I listened to that message afterward. It was a really fine message on forgiveness. I did note that he thought I gave him the hardest topic in the series. Find out today, I think mine today is even harder, John, so I didn't try to do that on purpose. But we're continuing to talk about keys to healthy relationships, and, and one of the things that goes through my mind as we talk this through is that a lot of this is about making my life better, right? If my relationships are healthy, then my life is probably gonna be better as well. I'm gonna have people to celebrate with, I'm gonna have people to cry with, and certainly if the relationships in my life are unhealthy, then my life is not going to be as good. It's going to, there's going to be pain involved in that. So we want this for ourselves, but as we make a little bit of a transition at this point in the series into the last two messages, I want us to think also about what we can do to build into other people. So as a result of having healthy relationships in our lives, what does this do for the people around us? How does that impact them? And I want us to take these two last passages and think of them in that way. Now, these two final passages really are focused in on marriage, but I want us to apply them in a broader sense. So I want to just think about, okay, what is marriage like? But what about some of the dynamics Paul talks about in that relationship? How do they speak to the rest of the relationships in our lives? Now, a couple of maxims in our culture that have become pretty popular that sort of speak to the marriage relationship. And if I say the first line, you could probably get it even if they weren't on the screen. So the first one is happy wife. Happy life, right? Okay, so if a husband does what he can to make his wife's life happier, to show that he loves her, to provide what she needs, then he's probably going to end up being happier as well. Matter of fact, I read a study this week, a psychological study that confirms that, okay? It seems right in our common sense kind of thinking, but it must be right in a more uh, educated way as well. Now, that's one way of looking at it. And it's a little bit, let's be honest, it's a little bit selfish, right? So I gotta do everything I can to make my wife happy, so I'll be happy. This next one is sort of beyond that, maybe in a little bit negative way. It goes like this. If mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, right? That might be true, but to me, the way that saying sort of goes, it paints the women in our lives as being so sort of domineering that if they're unhappy, they're gonna make sure everyone in the house is just as unhappy as they are. That doesn't feel like a real constructive way of approaching relationships in my mind. Now, might be that last weekend, the way you handled Mother's Day didn't turn out so well, so you maybe felt some of all that stuff going on. I don't know. But as we think about that, I think part of what it betrays is that in our culture, we are really concerned about the power dynamic in all of our relationships. I mean, we're concerned about it in general, but then it feeds into relationships. We want to know who's in charge here, right? I mean, whether we're talking about work, some organization we're a part of, church or family, we want to know who's in charge, okay? Who's setting the direction? Who's casting the vision? Who makes the decisions? We want to know that about every place in life, and that even applies to our families. We want to know who's in charge at home. Now, I think part of the problem with that is 
That was not exactly a first century kind of way of thinking, especially in the church. They thought more in terms of community than they did individualistic approaches to life, which is just who our culture is. So it's given us in some ways a misreading of some important passages of Scripture. And the one we're coming to today, I think, is one of those passages. So I want us to read these two passages that we're going to talk about today and next week sort of with fresh eyes and allow them to speak to each one of us, speak to our relationships in marriage and then beyond that as well. So really these go hand in hand. I wish we could cover everything in one week, but we really need to give two weeks because there's a lot of material here. Now, as we come to this, we're still in Ephesians, which we've been in throughout this series. We've talked about Ephesians being like a church handbook. It's a little like a letter. It's really more like, okay, Paul wrote down what it means to be the church, and then everybody passed it around. So it became a little bit like a letter in that way. And in the ancient world, when someone wrote that kind of document, whether it's sort of a formal letter to a group of people or a handbook for living, and we're talking about whether they're Christians or Jewish or non-Christian, whatever, okay, they would often include what was called a household code. Now, a household code was pretty simple. It was, this is how you act in your family. This is what relationships should look like as a family. Paul's no exception. He includes a household code that begins in Ephesians 5.21, which we'll get to in just a minute. Now, we don't have time to cover all this whole household code. I wish we did. Again, I would encourage you to read Ephesians 5 and 6 to get the full idea of everything that Paul's talking about. But these first two sections, again, need to be read in tandem. Because if we don't, what we do is we take this apart and we miss what Paul's saying. These two things have to go together. So if you take one out you're going to misunderstand what the marriage relationship is going to be like, and you're probably going to misunderstand any ways that we can apply this to other relationships. Now, another little problem. Our current translations, our modern translations, are divided up into chapters, verses, paragraphs, and then there's headings, right? So somebody's written, well, this is a passage that talks about family and relationships. But remember that all of those divisions came hundreds of years after the Bible was written. So when Paul wrote, he didn't even make paragraph breaks, none of that. It's all just together as one letter. And when we make those breaks, sometimes we separate things out and say, okay, well, this section's all about this, this one is about this, and we miss the context. And that is true in this passage because some of the translations put a break before verse 21, so it includes 21 in the household code. Some do not, so it looks like something separate. I believe Paul began his household code in Ephesians 5, 21, as he wrote these words. And this is to the whole group. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul's going to tell us how the family needs to work. And before he gets there, he says, here is the context in which family relationships should work. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, our family relationship should be based on mutual submission. What does that mean? Well, that means that we are choosing to allow someone else to take the lead. And that's the way it's got to work, right? I mean, how else are we going to be a family if everybody's trying to control every decision? That doesn't work, 
right? Whether you're talking about where you're going to eat supper, what you're going to watch on TV, how the money is spent, or how you're going to parent. If everyone decides it's going to be my way, it's going to be a disaster. So there will be times for each person in the family that they voluntarily say, I'm going to put myself under the leadership of someone else in this family. I'm going to choose to follow the lead of somebody other than me because I think they are set to lead this well. Paul says that's how we approach family, whether you're the, the wife, the husband, the child, the parent, wherever you fit in the family, we all approach it under voluntary, mutual submission. I'm going to follow someone else's lead at times. And then he takes that and says, okay, now from there, we're going to apply this in a lot of different directions. And we jump into the passage about wives this Sunday. Next Sunday, it'll be directed toward husbands. This is what he says in verse 22. Wives, submit to your husbands, to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And when we read that in 2022, a lot of people say, I don't really like that. That's not a very popular way of approaching. In fact, it sounds a little outdated. It sounds like the way my grandparents' marriage worked, right? It sounds like patriarchy. Like you just saying the men are going to be in charge of everything. Well, if we back up again and say, okay, first of all, our families, everyone comes at this in terms of mutual submission. That's the beginning point. I think that changes the way we understand this. I also think if we read just this passage and forget everything that comes after it, we don't recognize that Paul is going to jump in and say, okay, husbands, what I want you to do is to love your wives in such a way that you would be willing to give up anything and everything for them. That you would be willing to use all your gifts, all your resources in a way that builds up your spouse. You see, the problem is neither one of these work on their own, but they can work together. If you have two people who come together and say, I'm going to offer everything I have to you, then the other person is probably willing to say, you know what, why don't you lead on in this area of life? Why don't we work together in this area of life? I think that's the way that Paul had this in his mind. And if we take one piece out of that, then it all falls apart. Okay, but three observations about what Paul says here that I think can help us pull this together. First of all, it comes in the context of mutual submission, which is what I was just saying. Uh, if we come at this together saying, all right, we, we are not all going to lead all the time. There are going to be times when I let other people lead. I'm going to be under the direction of someone else. Then this makes sense. It doesn't mean that the husband is the dictator of the family. It means as we come together in mutual submission, there are times the wife will choose to submit, which leads us to the second observation. It's voluntary. It's voluntary. It's not enforced. Paul does not say, husbands, make your wives submit. He says, wives, choose to submit. Choose to allow your husband to lead. And third, this is just like the relationship of Christ in the church. It's all based in the same kind of relationship of Christ in the church. Now, what does that mean? Well, Paul is saying, listen, if, if the husband is willing to give 
like Christ gave. How did Jesus give? Well, Jesus came and decided to be among us, and he went to the cross, and he died on the cross for us. If we're talking about that kind of love, it makes submission possible. So this is not an excuse for abuse. This is a not, not an excuse for one person to impose their will on someone else. This is where two people come together in a way that they are mutually giving of themselves so that the relationship can work. Okay, how does that speak to relationships in general? What does this passage that's really focused in on marriage say to relationships in general? First of all, we're not talking about misuse of power. We're not talking about abuse. We're not talking about imposing our will on someone. We're saying in our relationships, there is a time when we will say, you know what, to make this work, what I need to do is step back and let someone else lead. What needs to happen is that I need to say, I'm going to put myself under the direction of someone else, and it's okay. Now, for some people, that's pretty hard, because some of you are natural leaders. Like, you walk in a room, and you just sort of automatically take charge. Not necessarily because it's always got to be your way. It's just your nature to say, okay, let's get the work done. Here's how we can do it. And it's hard to step back and say, I'm going to let someone else lead. And another thing that works against this is just the way our culture is built. Like, we don't like submission. That has negative connotations. I want to be master of my own universe. I want to make decisions for my life. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. Instead, Paul says there's a time for leading, but there's a time for putting yourself under the leadership of someone else. And in part because this is the only way that we can really exist in community. Whether we're talking about our families, or our churches, or our workplace, or some organization you're involved with, if everyone is leading all the time, it's going to fall apart. But if there are times in the organization or in the community that you can say, okay, you know what, we're going to share this, or I'm going to put myself under your leadership because I believe you can do this well, then we can make things happen. And if people, as we're going to see next week, are so focused in on loving the people around them, then that creates a dynamic where we are willing to submit to the people around us because we know they're interested in our well-being. So here's the message. Submission allows us to share life. It makes community possible. It allows us to share family life, church life, work life. Because no one, not everyone can lead in every circumstance. Now, this works its way out in lots of different ways in our lives and in our families. Now, one of the things I noted, as we think about this specifically on marriage and then apply it outward, every single marriage is different, right? I mean, every person is unique, so you bring two people together, and that marriage is going to look unlike any other marriage. There may be similarities, there may be some dynamics that look alike in marriages, but when you bring two people together in that kind of intimate relationship that lasts a lifetime, it is going to look different than every other marriage. And so in one of the wedding ceremonies I use, I talk about interpreting life together. And that's what we have to do. 
Because our past experiences are different, because what we're going to face is going to be different from anyone else, we're going to have to figure this out over and over, as a matter of fact, because our lives, and we change. And so we interpret this together, and I think this is a passage that is part of interpreting life together. It will not look the same for your marriage as it looks for my marriage. we got to figure this out. We got to figure out what it means to mutually submit, and we got to figure out what it means to submit and to love each other because we have different needs, different desires, different marriage. It can work on really important things and some things that may seem small. For example, when it comes to technology, my wife Leanne uses technology, she's fine with technology but she does not want to be the leader in technology. She just wants to use it. So she's fine if I pick out what we've got as far as technology goes. She's very happy if I'm the one to set it up because she doesn't want any part of that, okay? It's not going to go well if she's in charge of that. She knows it. She's fine with me leading in that area. On the other hand, some of you have mentioned to me because you've driven by our house this spring, man, your, your house looks so nice. The, the flowers and the pots and the things you've done in the yard, that looks awesome. And if they say that to me, I mean, what they really need to be doing is saying, man, the, the roundness of the holes that have been dug in your yard is really exemplary, all right? Because like that's what I've done is dug the holes. She's chosen the flowers. She knows what goes together, what will grow in our area, what part of the yard they should be in. I am totally willing to submit in that area because I don't know anything, and she does. But here's what I've also noticed. If we're looking through things in a store or looking through a catalog, and I say something about how much I really like this plant or that plant or this flower, even in passing, that I may not remember it, sometimes those are the things that show up in our yard. Well, why? Because she wants me to enjoy it too. Because she wants me to be part of it. In my mind, that's mutual submission. That's making it work together in our particular relationship. And it's one of those things that you just have to work on throughout life. And you know, I don't think she or I would say we've got that figured out. After 32 years, we're still working on it. We're still trying to figure out what that means for this season of our lives together. But there are times when mutual submission has to be at work because of what's going on. And again, those are minor things. But the way we handle money, the way we try to be good parents, the way we treat our parents, the way we exist in work and in church are things that we have to interpret together. And as a married couple, you will need to interpret that together. But beyond marriage, again, what does this say to our lives? It says in our relationships in this church, you know, this church is unlike every other church on the face of the earth. This church is unlike every church that has existed in the past or will exist in the future because we are a unique set of people who have been called together by God to do his work in this place at this time. And that means we together have got to interpret what our relationships look like. And so there is not one of us who needs to lead on every occasion. There are times when every single one of us needs to say, I am putting myself under the leadership of someone else. Maybe because they know how to do it better. 
They have knowledge that I don't have. They have skills that I don't have. Or maybe, maybe there's a number of ways to do something really, really well. There is not just one way. But because we want to help someone grow in their leadership skills, some of us are going to say, you know what? I'm putting myself under your leadership and I'm going to be with you. Because you see, sub submission is not, yeah, you do it, fine, you have your way. Submission is, let's do this together. I'm right with you. Lead the way. We've got your back. Submission allows us to share life. It allows us to live in community. It allows us to move forward together because someone is leading and other people are cheering them on and sharing the load. And I think that's what we need to learn from this. Whether we're talking about our families or our church or our workplace, there's a time to lead and there's a time to follow someone else's lead. And both those things can be really, really good and more than that, they can allow us to be in a relationship that grows and a relationship that builds for each other because of the kind of love that we're going to talk about next week. Let's pray together. God, submitting ourselves, our lives to other people is not always easy because we sort of like things our way. But God, as we learn submission to you, help us also to learn how to submit to the people around us, especially when you have gifted them to lead in a way that takes us forward. God, help our submission to be based in love so that the, the kind of love we have for each other makes submission even possible and makes us able to share the life you've given us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.